Welcome to the Mental Health Business Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margot Jaco. Are you a clinician looking to find the balance between providing compassionate client care and business agility? This show will help with things you need to know to start or grow your practice and better serve your clients. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, this is Dr. Margot Jaco. Thanks so much for joining us today. You know, part of what I love about doing this podcast is I get to talk to people that I really like. And today is one of those days. Dr. Bianca Harden is our guest today. And Bianca, you are one of those people that I really, really like. And I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. And it's a nice way to connect with you. You're very special to me as well. Oh, aren't you sweet? Yeah, I, I'm. any time I get to spend with you is really good. So I'm excited about just getting to spend time with you. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today. So let me tell everybody a little bit about you because they should know you. Dr. Bianca Hardin is a licensed clinical psychologist and a fabulous professor at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. You're the owner of a really lovely practice called Centered Therapy Chicago. You founded that in 2014 with the mission to help children, adolescents, and adults improve their mental health and quality of life. You, I mean, you have a mission. You're doing this for a reason. It's a mission. You provide therapy, supervision, and consultation services. And you're a fabulous presenter on issues related to parenting, child abuse, prevention, self-care, mindfulness, trauma-informed care, trauma stewardship, which we're going to talk about today, and cultural issues. Welcome, Bianca. Thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me. It's an honor to be here with you and your guests. I'm excited to talk more with you. Fabulous. So, you know, today, because there are so many things that you and I could talk about, Bianca, and, and, and we do. I mean, we have had, what did you call our little coffee talks when we were having them? Coffee for closers. <laughs> closers, right? That was so great. Like for, there are so many things that we could talk about, but today, and, and you and I had talked about this when we did get together for a virtual coffee, which folks, if you have not gotten together with for virtual coffee, I hope, I hope you'll do that with people that you really want to reach out to and connect with. Now is the time because you can do it from your home with your bunny slippers. So, but we talked about this whole idea of work-life balance. And it's something that you are passionate about. You're passionate about figuring it out. You know, we've talked about being a mom and being a practice owner and being a therapist and all that goes into that. So how would you define a healthy balance? That is such a good question. And I think it's for the individual to define what their own healthy balance is and what it means to them. So I, I really encourage people to think about that question what is a healthy balance for me? What is it that I want for myself in terms of balance and work-life balance or work-family-life balance? And I think like there's wisdom in that curiosity and also the journey of figuring it out and also the self-compassion along the way of, I think often we have this ideal of what it means to have a work-life balance. And I love self-care. I have done self-care like it was a job and put pressure on myself to do a lot of self-care. 
But then it was like, where do I fit in my self-care? Because it's so important. And then I was putting pressure on myself to do that. So I think there's this piece of how am I connecting to myself during this self-care time? And does it feel right for me? Am I feeling settled as I do it? And so having that compassion, because we can have an idea of what it means to us, but then we can kind of go off the rails a little bit and maybe be hard on ourselves around that. But I think having the compassion about this is a time I'm off the rails with my routine. What What's that about? Do I want to get back on? Do I want to adjust it? So I think the definition is a constant evolution based mm-hmm. on where you're at in your life. And are you, is it a pandemic or is it not a pandemic? Right. <laughs> Do we- Do I have a young child? Is my child going into high school and doesn't want to hang out with me as much? So where are my priorities and what's happening in my life as I figure this out constantly? Yeah. And folks, I hope you heard that as we figure this out constantly. Yeah. It is an ongoing mission to figure this out. And Bianca, I love that. The idea that, that there's wisdom in curiosity, that we get to be curious about it. And to have that compassion for ourselves, because people who are listening to this podcast might be therapists or practice owners or practice owning therapists. And oh my gosh, there's so much pressure to take care of so many people. And I've, I've been doing more business consultation recently, and this topic comes up constantly. How do we manage all of these pieces? So folks, having that compassion, Yes. And being able to be curious. That's great. So how do you determine this, Bianca? You said it's really for the individual. How do you determine this for yourself? What I like to do is engage in regular intention setting or um, introspection around this. And so I like to create time for myself to reflect on what am I doing in my life? Is it working for me? You know, this is one of the principles of trauma stewardship that we'll talk about later, but like what is this? And I know I started this, but do I want to continue doing this or not? And is it serving me and what I really want for myself in my life? So I think how I create it for myself is just thinking about like, how am I feeling in my body? How am I feeling in my spirit, you know, in my relationships? Like, am I feeling connected to myself? And what tweaks do I need to make along the way? And so I think this really this process of really dialoguing and then having people in your life that you can have beautiful conversations with around how's my life going? I'm in a monthly women's circle with friends that I've had for a long time. They're all in the mental health field and we just connect on life and we reflect on the struggles and the rewards and and all of that. And so I think having the dialogue within myself, but also having people I can talk to about it because um, it's hard to do things in isolation sometimes. Like really, uh, there's a lot of things that I think we all do well that we might not recognize. And so having people in our lives to share, you know, maybe how we're inspiring them, how they're inspiring us, and even creating ideas on how to just improve this work-life balance. As as a mental health professional and as, as a practice owner, I think is really important. It is super important. I love that idea of having a group of women that you sit down with. And it doesn't, folks, obviously just have to be women. Um, that was your, the, the people that you chose. That's your tribe, yeah. right? It can be anybody. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to, I'm in a um, consultation group for female practice owners. We call, it, we call ourselves the uh, Badass Female 
practice owners. And part of the support we engage in is just supporting each other in the challenge of this role as a practice owner and as a woman and as a person and in a pandemic. And so that's been just such a great source of support. I'm also in another consultation group for group practice owners. And we talk, we also support each other. And it's about a lot of the logistics of practice ownership. So these two groups and my friendship group, I do this on a very regular basis. I think that community is so healing and relationships are healing. And as a relational feminist therapist, I believe in the healing power of being with others and being in communities and noticing how I feel when I'm in these communities. And often I feel so restored. If I'm in something that doesn't feel restorative, that's where I engage in a kind of curiosity process about, is this still meeting my needs right now? But this, these two consultation groups that I've been in have just really, I feel like, saved my life during the pandemic as well as my women's circle. So I think that's a really important part for me in my work-life balance and just self-care. I love that. I do think this is a function of age for me in my late, late 50s at this point. I have gotten to the point where if something feels bad or just really doesn't contribute much to me feeling good, I start, I jettison it. <laughs> Especially in my career, there is a finite amount of time and wouldn't that be good to spend it the way I want? But it's like, oh no, that's out of here. So part of self-care is what we're doing, but it also can be what we're deciding not to do. I'm not doing that anymore. And that's self-care. Yeah. I love the N-O. Like I love no, and I love delegating. Yep. You know, and I love having an abundance mindset and feeling yep. like in this business, in this world, we're never going to go out of business. And so I want to be around people, other practice owners. And this is my two consultation groups that I'm in have such an abundance mindset. They are so sharing. It just touches my heart. I feel just really moved by thinking about all of these brilliant people coming together, working so hard and being like, yeah, here's a template I created. Or here's my consent for returning to the office after COVID. Yeah, they worked hard on it and they want to share it. And I think that to me is really restorative. And that's part of like, those are the folks I want to be around. I don't want to be in competition with other people because I'm not in competition with anyone. I want to be in connection with people who also have a similar approach to life. And that to me is restorative. I love that connection, not competition. Boy, folks, if... Uh, you know, this is a big topic uh, that yeah. we could spend probably at least one or two episodes discussing. Yeah. How much as a field, things could be different for all of us if we had that abundance mindset. Yes. Right? So yeah. maybe one thing people need to jettison is that sense that there's, you know, that scarcity mindset. But so for you, the way you handle that is you surround yourself with really good giving people who are generous, just like you, because I think you're very generous as well, Bianca. Thank you. Yeah, it feels good to do good. It feels good to be good. It feels good to be with people who lift you up. Life is hard. We're going through a lot of hard things, um, social, politically, historically right now that are just so difficult. And I really think about like, how do I feel when I'm, when I'm in the presence of other people, whether it be coworkers, whether it be friends, family members. And I feel like really want to keep fuel in the tank. And I want to be around people where I feel like we're lifting each other up. It's really restorative. 
it's very restorative. So the takeaway from that, Bianca, is really let yourself pay attention to folks. Does this fuel you? Does this feel good or not? If it doesn't, if you can, get rid of it. If you're finding there's gaps, figure out what that is for you. Be curious about what that might be. Exactly. Like as a body-oriented therapist, I mean, that's something that we haven't talked much about, but I'm trained in somatic experiencing and NARM and really um, thinking about me as a whole person, like how are things settling in my system? You know, not just what do I think about it, but how do I feel about it? How do I feel in the presence of other people? Really being curious about my somatic reactions, my emotional reactions, my thinking reactions, like all of it is like a really important data in terms of how I'm shaping my life and what I do on a day-to-day basis. Mm, I love that. Well, and I think it ends up showing up in your life, Bianca, for sure. So you mentioned learning how to say no. You talked about delegating. And I find that this whole delegating thing can be really tough for people. And I don't want to say women in particular only, but I would say women in particular included. So. Can you talk a little bit about delegating? What do you think gets in the way of people delegating out? Because the research says this is true, right? Even during the pandemic, when women were, some women were at home and or were at work and their husbands were at home, rather than just letting their male counterpart take up some of the the work, they came home and worked twice as hard. So we seem to have a hard time letting go of that like, I'll tell you that was not me during COVID, but so we seem to struggle with that as a species, as a female species. So can you just talk about delegating and learning to say no and what gets in the way and how do you get around that? Yeah, I love delegating. (laughs) I, (laughs) you know, this could be a really long, I could say a lot of things about this. Um, I think that there are a few things that have influenced me in terms of how I think about delegation and what I do. So a long time ago, before I had a private practice, I went to a presentation at the Chicago School on how to build your million dollar private practice. I wasn't even in, in private practice, but I was like, oh, I'm, that's a great title. I'll, I'll go, go to that. And the presenter said, they think about kind of what their hourly rate is and all the things that they do as a practice owner. Then they kind of think through like dollar amounts per things. Like, so if I make an hourly rate of $100 or $200, whatever it is, why am I then spending all this time cleaning my own office or building my own website when maybe for office cleaning, it might be something like $150 a month to get your office cleaned. And so it got me thinking about my time as a commodity. And then there's value in my time. And as I think about my time, another conversation that influenced me, so that was one. And then another one was I was at the Chicago school and a wise colleague, I met them in the kitchenette and I had just come from a meeting and he's like, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, like I probably was like, oh, I just came from a meeting. And then he's like, oh, well, what grade would you put on that meeting? What's your energy level? What's your grade? And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. So that particular meeting I think is a C. And so I like to be an A student. You know that, Margo. I I was one of your students. So, so then I started then accumulating my GPA of things I'm engaging in. And I thought like, I'm an A student. Oh, so these are the things I don't like as much, right? And so 
I started thinking about, does this bring me joy? You know, does this fill my cup? And as a practice owner, I like to understand how things work. Once I figure out how things work, I'm fine. I'm ready to delegate it to someone else. And then I then could maybe engage in more things that bring me joy. So the things that bring me joy are consultation, supervision, the clinical work, but not as much like developing the room schedule or creating policies and procedures or some of those things. And so as I thought about commodity, my GPA, and my love of mentoring and supervising and training people in roles to understand what brings them joy, because there are people who actually enjoy policies and procedures, who enjoy billing, who enjoy figuring out logistics and making spreadsheets, right? And so then I started employing people and paying money to have people do these roles that they actually really liked. And so then it brought me joy that they're having joy in their job. And then I was able to be like, why do I want to do this? I don't need control over this. Actually, when you surround yourself by people who are equally smart or smarter than you, and you trust them, it's almost like hitting the easy button because you don't need to worry about it all because you are with really good people that you that you have employed, that you are choosing to be around. And so that's what's really, that's my delegation journey. Part of why I went into private practice as a group owner is that I wanted more flexibility in my life as a mom and just to do some of the other things. So I am not one of the private practice owners who wants to be working 80 hours a week. I want to have a healthy life balance, as we talked about. And so it's hard to have a healthy life balance if you need to have control over everything. And then the last piece is doing your own personal work. What does it mean to delegate? What's getting in the way of you personally delegating? Because some people might feel like, well, if I'm not doing it, I'm not as important. They won't need me. You know, there are a lot of deeper issues that might get in the way of someone deciding to delegate. So I think that personal exploration is really important as well. Oh my gosh, Bianca, that that was so valuable. That whole chunk <laughs> on delegation. I loved that. I love the idea of if you're doing it, if you're if you're able to get your mind around this, it is like hitting the easy button. I love yeah. And you yeah. were an amazing student. Bianca was one of my students <laughs> A few moons ago, I haven't taught in 17 years. So prior <laughs> to that, so my son was just being born at the time. So you've always been a good student. But that equation of what is your time worth? Your time is a commodity. If we fill ourselves out at a certain amount, what? where do we want to be putting our time and energy and why? And being curious again about why. Why am I taking this on? I'm worried about spending the money there. Well, but are you thinking that properly? I think it's Michael Gerber who has the the saying, you know, you want to have the right people in the right seat. Yes. Right? I like to have people in the seat who are trained to do the job that their seat should be in. So that's a great way to think about it. I love that. Another thing that I like to do is say your staff member comes to you and they ask you a question. What should I do? And then I always say, well, what do you think? They're so wise. Give your people the opportunity to think it through and they know the answer. Or let's let's uh, talk it through. Let's problem solve. I love 
devil's advocate. I love unpacking things and like the pros and cons and like, let's talk to me about how my thinking may be flawed. How can we make this better? And so not putting so much pressure on yourself as the owner to come up with all the answers. We're all learning. We're all a work in progress. Like let's be together and figure it out collaboratively. So I I think that also helps with delegation because I trust who I'm working with and I think we're awesome. Mm -hmm. And they know a lot of the answers. I don't need to be the knower of all. Well, right, which I love. Have people around that you trust and who you know just need a little bit of permission or space to know that they know. And the truth of the matter is a lot of times I think one of the differences between practice owners and non-owners is we just make a decision. We just take our best guess. It's not like, we, you know, I don't think I always know everything. I'm really good at taking my best guess and saying, well, let's see what happens next. So trust yourself and know if anything, it's a learning opportunity. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I love that. That's very valuable. All, all that you just said. I want to come work for you, Bianca. That sounds fabulous. <laughs> you talk about also about, and I, I think this is sort of setting the stage for that so that you can work smarter, not harder. And I love that. And that's, I think all of us really sort of intellectually think, well, that sounds like a really good idea. And then we get out in front of our own way, stick our legs out and trip our own selves. So how do you find yourself or, or how would you suggest for someone who's wanting to work smarter, not harder. What what does that end up meaning? Yeah, I think one of my sayings that I often said is why recreate the wheel? What's out there? What's been done before? I can't be the first person to ever think this is an idea, you know? So I think understanding that there are resources out there is really important. There are whole websites and Facebook groups and books and all of this for practice owners. There's like your podcast, you know what I mean? There are podcasts of people who are very wise. So that's part of it is there are resources out there. So understanding what the resources are, but being in these consultation groups that I'm in, we just share these resources, right? And so like we were talking about at my practice, when will we be returning to the office? Who's not asking themselves that? I know, I was just going to say, oh my gosh. Yeah. So then it's almost like, oh my goodness, I don't know. Things change on a daily basis. But my thought was, we don't need to be the trailblazers on this issue. Let's wait for other people to do it and see what goes well and not go well and learn from them. And I've had colleagues share their protocols and their flow charts and all sorts of things. And so I'm sharing other things with them. I'm more of like a, I want to wait and see what happens sort of person. And I want to collect the resources. And if we're if when we do this, I want it to be done in a thoughtful, intentional way that's good for the clinicians, it's good for the clients, it's good for the practice. And so I'm in no rush to do that. But I think that's an example of working smarter, not harder, is not putting pressure on myself to return quicker than when we're ready and things are in place and um, utilizing the wisdom of the people around me who've decided to share their protocols. And at this point, you can look up protocols probably online as well. That's an example. It's just looking for what's out there and blending it into what you want. Do you know what I mean? Like what's right for me? I know this place does this, this place does this, but what's right for me? And then having meetings. So one 
cool thing about a working harder is, is we recently discovered this tool called the Trello board. I don't know if you've heard of it or not. We use Microsoft Teams and there are these boards where like you're on Teams. Like, so we created like a management team board. So all the resources that we need for the management team board are there. We have huddle meetings and in that it's like, what are your wins? What are you working on? And what are the metrics that in your particular role? So having dedicating two hours a week for our management team has been working smarter, not harder, because we're not then emailing each other and IMing and doing all this non-face-to-face communication. We also set a topic for the meeting so that we brainstorm it out together. We all come prepared to the meeting. And so really kind of geek out on management team philosophy and how to make things more efficient, integrating some of the ideas that I've learned about into kind of the structure of the practice has helped with not working harder because it's actually harder not to be prepared. It's harder to be in a meeting where you're looking things up and kind of burning up time doing that sort of thing. I think putting structures in place and setting up goals and all of that on the front end, although that seems more time consuming, it then helps, I think, things to be a little more efficient. I, I love that. It's harder folks, and I would have to agree to not be prepared. So, right, one of the ways that you work smarter is you use tools that are already out there. You use yeah. resources that are already out there, and you come prepared. You do a little bit of work on the front end so that you can be in a meeting and the meeting can go smoothly. So, right. So it really is about take a look and see what's available for you. Who are the resources out there that you can tap into? Love it. So if you were to be teaching, you said you love this, you kind of geek out on this theory. So if you were teaching someone a little bit about management theory, which will you please do a workshop on this, by the way, you can use our, (laughs) we'll sponsor it, whatever. I would love this. I think this is so great. Sure. You know, in addition to getting zero amount of training on how to go about running a business, being a manager, oh my gosh, I think therapists, are we are a lovely lot, but we stink at management because we want everybody to be happy and we're very relational. Yes. Uh, <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. So how would you speak to a practice owner about management and some of those important management pieces? Yeah, well, that's such a big question. So I would really... Yeah, I would want to really understand what kind of practice do they want to have? What is their vision for the community that they have? So my vision informed how I manage. So my vision was a relational, um, feminist, trauma-informed, body-oriented practice. And I wanted to infuse relational into the practice as well as mindfulness. And so what that means is, uh, I also think about, um, because we're primarily a trauma practice, that we need to infuse self-care and prevention of vicarious trauma or burnout. So I took a trauma stewardship model and infused it into the practice. And so what that means is we have a lot of supervision. We have trainings. The relationships are really important to me. So that's me. There are other practice owners who lead beautiful practices who say, I don't want all that. I want happy, independent clinicians who don't need a lot of oversight, who don't want a lot of oversight. And so I think 
it will differ based on how you see your practice going and that can influence your management style. Some people have a style that is more hands-on. Some people have a style that's more laissez-faire and hands-off. So it's really like, what kind of style do you want? Who's influenced you in terms of managers? You know, like who are your mentors or who do you look up to? When I was, my dad would always hand me a lot of business books when I was growing up as a young person and I would be reading them. So, yeah, those things shaped kind of my idea. And then I also have had a career of many different jobs. You know, I was the director of a health and human services department. I was an associate department chair. I oversaw a child and adolescent track. I've been full-time faculty. So I got to see a lot of people manage. And what I did was I take note of what I liked, what I didn't like. I was curious about why. And in those different roles, I got to learn through trial and error how to do well or not do well, right? And then I think after having all of that experience, me starting a practice, I think I started as a head start from someone who hasn't had those life experiences. And so I really think going into work and working in different environments and learning from mentors really can help shape your management style, but it's really about what brings you joy. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it's kind of back to that how do I want to be as a leader? How don't I want to be as a leader? And like tuning into that. And then once you know that, then you seek out mentors or resources that help support you in your development. But, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of consultation groups and having a consultant and things like that. So really like investing. Some people say, I don't want to spend the money on those things. This is an investment in yourself. This is self-care. It's kind of like getting a massage. You have this practice why not invest in yourself? So we were looking at supervisory assignments and someone on my team was like, well, who supervises you, Bianca? <laughs> you know, good question, right? Yeah. right? And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're thinking about me. Thank you. I mean, I really appreciate you having the wisdom to know that the boss, the owner needs guidance as well. And so I said like, that's great. Like, here are the ways I get consultation in different areas. And I'm still thinking about what other areas do I need consultation in? And I want to pay for that. I want to invest in myself so that I'm not working as hard. It's like that whole working smarter, not harder. Like if you have a consultant or if you're in a consultation group, it feels like a, a big hug kind of because you're like getting support. You get to like talk about your vulnerabilities and struggles and also get ideas. And so I think that's really can help influence a management style is that I recommend people be a manager who gets support, (laughs) not a manager who feels like the world is on their shoulders and they have to figure it all out themselves. That to me feels like pressure. Figuring that out, asking yourself the important question, doing some journaling and thinking and going to retreats and just kind of taking some time to figure out who you are as a manager. I love that. Bianca, maybe we can have you come back again sometime and talk to us about management style and some of that management theory. If you'd ever be interested, I think that could be super valuable. And you're very generous, so I don't want to, you know, take too much advantage, but I think Yeah, I know. It's fun talking to you (laughs) and your audience. Oh yes, and my audience is lovely. What you said about trial and error, because again, you know, I said this before, like I'm sometimes really just and often just taking my best guess. It is through trial and error and not being afraid to use trial and error as a way of learning. But 
I've had a business coach for years. I started a practice and the very first thing I decided was what I didn't want to do. I didn't know what I did want to do. I just knew what experience I didn't want to foist on other people. All of that counts, right? It's using your own history experiences to figure out maybe what that roadmap is going to look like. Yeah, I've done a lot of my own personal work and just even thinking about how I relate to myself in making a mistake. And I'm doing that in air quotes. Your audience can't see that because I actually don't think of it as a mistake. I think of it as like a growth opportunity, a learning opportunity. It's how you frame it, right? And I don't want to put the pressure on myself to, oh, it has to be perfect or I have to do it the right way. It's unrealistic, Life is messy. Things are messy. Like even if you use this COVID thing as an example, we don't know what's going on. No, this is just a hard time, you know, like, and just to say, I say to my people in my practice, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen next. I really don't. And I'm, I'm open to feedback. These are some of my thoughts. It's hard to make decisions at a time when things are changing on a daily basis and being okay with that. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I understand uncertainty is very difficult, but it's also an opportunity to practice being with uncertainty because really we don't have as much control in life as we think we do or want to think we do. And so using that as a learning opportunity and that whole trial and error, how do I manage during, how am I a manager to a virtual staff? Talk about that. Who's done that before? I don't know if you were like me, Margo, but I didn't want to be a virtual therapist. I probably boo-hooed it. Do you know what I mean? And now I'm like, oh, this is like, great access to care. I'm enjoying it. But I didn't know I was going to have this opportunity to figure out like I have a staff member who lives in California. Before I would not have thought that would ever work. And now it's like, oh, okay, great. I didn't want to lose that person. I value them. I'm glad we can make it work. Exactly right. Nobody knew what they were doing. And lots of opportunity (laughs) to, as one of my favorite instructors used to say, what makes people successful is their ability to dance with the unknown. So yes. I'm going to tango here with all kinds of things that we just don't know, as we all have. So, Bianca, there's so much I'd love to talk to you about, but I really want us to take a couple of minutes or a few minutes to talk about infusing trauma stewardship. You know, I mean, even as we talk about the last year, we know how much trauma people have experienced uh, but but this is something that you also feel passionate about. Can you tell us a little bit about your thoughts about being trauma-informed, infusing trauma stewardship into your work? Talk a little bit, please, about that. Yeah. So Laura Vandernoot Lipsky wrote a very influential book called Trauma Stewardship, Caring for Self While Caring for Others. And I've seen her speak and it just really resonated with me because I know as I was a trainee, I was at sites that did and did not recognize the impact of trauma on the therapist. And so I started as a trauma therapist in the mid nineties. So we've come a long way, thank you, Billy. But like, it was like even a debate. That's about you. Well, the work actually impacts us and what's happening in our society impacts us. And so we, we have a heavy load as trauma therapists, not to mention our own potential developmental trauma and our own experiences. And so this book resonated with me because it wasn't a book that said, go take a bubble bath or take a five minute break or kind of something what I call like Band-Aid important, but yet not getting at the root of why am I doing this work? Mm-hmm. What am I doing? Is it working for me? 
Do I need to make any adjustments? How do I think about doing something to create social change in the world? There are all these principles in trauma stewardship that really resonated with me about meaning making and choice and signing on again and again uh, to why we're here together. So I think that intention setting really resonated with me. Highly recommend the book. She also has a YouTube talk. So anyway, as I was thinking about building a practice, I thought, like, how will I do this? And one thing she talks about is creating more mi- micro cultures of support. So if you're in a system that doesn't feel supportive, can you create micro support systems within that. You know what I mean? Is there a colleague you work with or a consultation group outside? So I thought about how do I create a practice that is relational and supportive? And so I'm very intentional about how I how I hire people, how I onboard people, how I talk about the practice, clinical expectations. So that's a piece of it in that we like we have a monthly meeting called um, Celebrations and Connections, where we just celebrate birthdays and anniversaries. We talk about people's good news and they share about themselves. And that's the whole purpose of the meeting is to get together. Pre-COVID, it was potluck. We would have a meal together. We do it virtually now. But we've continued that through the pandemic, all of our meetings. We have a case consultation meeting and a professional development. So part of preventing vicarious trauma and burnout, research shows that if clinicians are trauma-informed and understand how to work with trauma and understand the impact, they're less likely to have vicarious trauma and burnout. So then we infuse like opportunity to support in cases as well as share more information. And so that's infused into how I built the practice. And we also start most meetings With some form of mindfulness or meditation, I integrate an orienting and arriving and intention setting exercise into meetings. And then I also invite other people if they have cool meditations or things like that to share. Another thing I've been doing is thinking about social justice minded things like having people share poetry or music or videos that we show at the beginning of meetings to kind of get people thinking about things or just reflecting. And so staff members are able to kind of step up and share what's on their heart about a variety of issues. And so those are just a few things that I've done. And then I think that people having good supervision is really important. So we have that consistently for all staff or supervised. Um, So like, how do you create the support within the system for us doing this really hard work? And that's a value of mine. I know not all practice owners want to do that or, you know, because it is take a lot of it takes a lot of thought. It takes resources because I am paying for all this stuff. Right. I pay Mm -hmm. for people to attend meetings and for trainings and things like that. But I feel like it's an investment in the clinicians and and who gets the benefit of that? Clients, the clinicians, the community, and the practice. So I think it's really, like, for me, it really works. Bianca, that's, yeah, we think very similarly, which, uh, of course, I appreciate. I mean, people always want to talk to people who think like they do, right? This is tough work, and you so get that, and you're there as a practice owner investing in how to support yourself so that you can best show up talking about work-life balance, you can best yeah. work for your clients and your clinicians, and you yep. infuse this in your practice. It's a real value of the practice to be able to, for everyone to feel held 
and supported and like they're important. The work that they do is important and them. They're important as humans. Their time is important. Their health is important. Humans are so important. And I always say family and health come first. You know what I mean? Because it's inevitable for someone to have a health related issue or a family related issue and that people can feel this way, but it's not going to come from me feeling pressured between like, I can't take time off to attend something important or attend to my own health. I think that if we're not tending to ourselves as humans, it's hard to be a good clinician. And so really we've encountered a lot of people expanding their families, or there's been people who have experienced loss or health concerns. And so it's important for me that people feel supported in those things and take the time that they need to take care of themselves and their health and their family. And there's not going to be any pressure for me to do anything that they don't want to do. They need to take a leave of absence or adjust their schedules. That's really important. And I learned that because like 15 years ago, my dad passed away and I was in a work environment where take all the time you need. I didn't feel torn between my work and my obligations and desires as a daughter. Like I felt supported. And I know not everyone has that experience, but when I thought about how do I want to be as a manager, I thought I want to be generous and I want to support people in doing those things that they need. That's important. These health and family issues are, are essential. And so um, that's also part, I think, of caring, self-care and trauma stewardship is just, I'm a human, you're a human, like how can we support our, ourselves and our humanness? And that, I think that's really important. Oh, to use your word, it's essential. And Bianca, I'll tell you, in, in my travels of talking to other practice owners, the people whose practices seem to be successful are people who hold these values that you're describing, where the therapist's humanity is really important, their staff's needs are really important, and that their health and their family comes first. Everything else comes second. So you have clearly cracked a code here about (laughs) being a good person, being a good human, being a good practice. And that stewardship, it's kind of stewardship of humanity. I mean, I don't want to get too far out here with this, but I think it's its yeah. really important. It's really important. And that's, I'm sure, part of the reason that Centered Therapy Chicago is as successful as it is. So, Dr. Bianca Harden, I, we could talk forever. I, I would yeah. love to have you back to talk about other things. I hope you'll come back, and I hope we can have another Definitely. coffee for closers. Um <laughs> That that would be a lot of fun. But thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's an honor. And I really enjoyed the conversation. Well, back at you. I'm Dr. Margot Jaco, your mental health business mentor. Thanks so much for joining us today. We'll look forward to being with you next time. Be well. You've been listening to the Mental Health Business Mentor Podcast with Dr. Margot Jaco. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe so you don't miss an upcoming episode and head on over to the mentalhealthbusinessmentor.com website for resources and additional information. Thanks so much for listening and be well.